Hey everyone, welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu and I am your host, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Andrew Valian. Andrew, how's it going, bro? Good, Marcus. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for agreeing to uh, be on this podcast. I know there's a lot of things that we can talk about, and I think this topic that we're going to dive into is very, not only interesting, but I think applicable to the young youths in the Christian uh, ministry today. Uh, But before we get started um, with the topic, I want to address something really quick. So for those of you who have listened to the first two episodes of this podcast, you may have noticed that the theme song is a little different. Not only is it a little different, it's actually totally different. Um, But the reason why I changed that in I mean, I can give you the short version of the story or the long version. I'll try to give the short version, but it'll probably end up being the long version. Um, I had an old MacBook that I used the first two episodes on, and I just quickly edited it. I put it together. I added the the theme song, and then I exported it to an MP3 file, sent it to the guys. Um, Then my MacBook crashed, ended up having to buy a new one, couldn't find that same theme song, so I just went with something else that I to be honest, I think is a little better. So for those of you who noticed that, you know, this is the direction I wanted to go in. I, I tried to find it, but you know, I just bit the bullet, took the L on this one and starting fresh. So that's the, uh, the change that we're going to have starting here, uh, with week three, technically. So, uh, with that being said, we can get, uh, you know, going, get going forward. Um, before we introduce this topic, before we dive into this, Andrew, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Andrew Villian. I serve at Emmanuel Church of God here in Anaheim, California. Um, my passion or the thing that draws me to the Lord most or keeps me up at night is um, discipleship. It's it's investing in the younger generation. It's spending time with the younger generation. And it's technically just being the person that you needed when you were younger. Uh, so about that, that's I came back to the Lord about four years ago. I had a season where I walked away from God. Not that I didn't believe in God, but I was just bitter. Um, I had some things that were unresolved. I had some questions that I couldn't answer. And I thought, well, that must be the Lord's problem then. So I, I stepped away from him, but through his grace, he brought me back. And not did he just not only did he bring me back, but he brought me back with passion and zeal for his church and for things that I was lacking growing up. And you mentioned it earlier, and this is going to be the topic we're, we're going to go in today, but discipleship. Mm-hmm. That's something that you're very involved in, something that you're very passionate about. And I think that's something that we all need to be very passionate about. Um, For those of you who don't share the same background as we do in the remaining community, um, you know, maybe you don't see the issues that we do, but I think discipleship is one of those things that kind of slipped up in our community. And I mean, there's a lot of different reasons why, and we're going to address some of those. And hopefully um, by the end of this episode, we're going to, find some potential solutions, see what we can do to improve not only our community as a whole, but um, ourselves as individuals to be better mentors, to be better disciples. And um, I mean, above it all, be disciples of Christ because, you know, we have the interactions with one another. uh, We have the church hierarchy. We have all that. But at the end of the day, you know, we follow Christ Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, our mentor and we're his disciples. So, um, let's kick things off. We're going to go into this first part here and talk about um, kind of our personal experiences with discipleship or 
a lack thereof yeah. in, in, in our in our community. So um, you know, I'm going to give you the reins, Andrew, and uh, go ahead and just you know let's address some of those issues, and sure. you can definitely relate your personal experience with that as well. Sure. Yeah. So for, first thing I would jump into is Matthew 28. It's, it's coming back to the commission of Christ where he says, therefore, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Um, and I think our problem in our generation or in the remaining community was that we we read this passage maybe through the concept of, therefore, go out and make Christians. And or play church, or, or put on a good church service, or put on a good worship service, or put on a great sermon. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but we see that Jesus' commission was to go out and make disciples. Um, and yeah, just growing up, I, I'm, maybe I can speak for the both of us, I, I lacked, or I had, I didn't have someone in my life who was investing in me personally. And I think that really took a toll on my life and my walk with Christ. Um, I think every person at a point in their life just says, I just want to be nourished by someone. I want someone to pour into me. I want someone to actively serve uh, in my life and just see potential in me that no one else would see. Um, so growing up with the lack of that and lack of, lack of I don't want to necessarily say that parents weren't doing what they were supposed to do, but I think coming from that Romanian communist regime and coming from you know, we're first generation in Romania. Our parents come in with come kind of like a strict um, agenda. They came in with, um, you know, they were a little bit hard-hearted. They were they weren't easy to talk to. They they come back from a background where they weren't really open about. And I think that really took a, a turn in a lot of our lives where we saw, um, you know, the fatherhoods and and the aspect of a father investing into a son um, with openness. I think that took a toll for a lot of us. Um, so as far as like, you see the fathers of our generation who weren't opening up to us. They weren't talking to us. If we had struggles, and, and just being a little blunt with you, let's let's take the example of the, the pornography issue for a moment. I don't know how how your dad addressed that problem with you. My dad took me aside one day when I was thirteen or fourteen, opened up the Bible, read me a passage on sexual morality, and called it a day. And never had that openness or never had that talk to where it was like, hey, if you have a problem with something, I want to be accessible to you. I want you to be able to open up. I want you to be able to share your experiences and I want to do life with you. And I think because of that lack, I think it turned a lot of us the wrong direction. It closed us off. It closed off our minds. It closed off our hearts. We became more religious, more bitter. Um, and I think that was a big turnaround for my life that caused me to walk away from the Lord, just having that lack of discipleship in my life. And I'm glad you brought that up, uh, that you know, pornography issue, but other issues as well. I mean, in my personal experience, and other a lot of people, it's it becomes a problem. No, it is a problem only when it becomes a problem. Yeah, and that's when it gets addressed after after you slip up, after you you know get, hang out with the wrong people, then it becomes a problem. And I think the problem is with our community is that. And I like to use this analogy a lot. They are firefighters, not park rangers, right? Mm. They put out fires. They don't prevent them. Mm. And they're so used to just reacting and not being proactive. And I, and I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, the roots of these issues and why that could have happened. But, you know, we as, you know, the first gener generation that was born and raised here in the United States, I mean, we are facing the backlash of uh, this issue. And um, that's something that I definitely can relate to also. It's, you know, we're, we're questioning ourselves. 
we see the religious side, but we don't always feel the spiritual side. And um, something as simple as a language barrier could also drive us further and further apart. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that definitely played a big part uh, in all of this. Um, so, you know, going forward, can you go a little bit more in detail? Like how, what was something specific um, with this issue, with the lack of discipleship that really kind of turned you off to Christianity? It kind of led you astray. Is there something like a specific episode or maybe a, a certain issue that uh, really set the ball rolling? Sure. I, I think it's, in, simply put, I think it was just a lack of communication. If I if I had something going on in my life, if I had a struggle, if I had a question, I didn't have someone that I can pour into that I knew that would re- receive me well um, and take, take it with a grain of salt and actually allow me to express myself without condemnation. And I think that's our problem that we had. We had parents growing up that that did their best. They came first generation here, right? Uh, but that lack of availability to communicate, the lack of people above us, the generations above us, to say, "Hey, I'm I'm available to you if you want to talk. I'm available to you. I'm available to teach you. I'm available to grow with you. I'm av- I'm available to do life with you." I think that's where our struggle was because if if I had something going on in my life, I automatically. Um, became defensive about it. I wanted to hide it. I didn't want to tell people because I didn't know that there were people out there who would actually take it the right way. Um, so once I started having a lot of questions and doubt about the Lord and I started slipping up, I, I started drinking, I started smoking, I started doing some things that obviously from our perspective of Christianity isn't correct and, and it's a turn from the Lord. When I started doing those things, instead of seeing people pour into me and say, hey, let me help you through this, I got more of a backlash as if Hey, look what this guy is doing. And word started spreading around. And because I saw that, I said, that's not a Christian lifestyle that I want to follow. Those people are not a type of people that I want to follow. And so I walked away from the Lord. Um, but just a couple years later, uh, after after my journey, kind of just going by myself and do my own thing, the Lord pulled me back by his grace. I felt his love. I felt his touch. And I remember coming back to, to my church. And when I came back, and this isn't to badmouth anyone, but... Like every Romanian church, there's a lot of lack in our churches, right? There's a lot of lack of discipleship. There's lack of leadership. There's lack of a lot of things. And I remember asking the Lord, I said, God, why did you bring me back in the Romanian community? Why did you bring me back to a failing community? Why couldn't you plug me into, uh, you know, an American community, American church, um, people with, with leadership that are growing, people that are investing in people? And I remember God saying something to me. He said, I don't want you to be a bandwagoner when things are good. I want you to be the change of what you want to see. Um, and actually, Estera Rotar <laughs> said this quote to me, and she probably won't even remember what she said, but it stuck with me for the last four years. And she said, be the change that you want to see, or be the person that you needed when you were younger. And that always stuck with me, be the person that you needed when you were younger. So I started examining my life and seeing, okay, these are the things that I was lacking growing up. I was lacking a mentor. I was lacking someone who honestly, genuinely loved me as far as investing and opening up their heart. I I lacked seeing someone in my life who would pull me aside maybe weekly just to see how I'm doing, to see what's going on in my heart. So I said, you know what, by that basis, I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start investing in people. I'm going to look for those who have no one. I'm going to keep an eye out for those that feel neglected, and I'm going to start working with them. And I'm glad you brought up to, you know, the aspect of changing, being that change we want to see. Because we can look at the generation, you know, uh, above us, our parents, our grandparents, 
the leaders, the pastors of the church, and we can ridicule, we can criticize, we can complain all we want. And I mean, looking back, I mean, you can't really blame them. I just, I just think it was they received poor discipleship and leadership sure. when they were younger, and times were different. They, they moved from a communist country to you know the United States. A lot was going on, but I like that you brought up that we need to be the change that we want to see. The reason why we're here, the reason why we're here on this podcast is because instead of looking back to the past, we want to look to the future and see how we can change it, how we can impact the young generation, how we can Mm -hmm. um, encourage one another. And you brought up uh, the the parental issue. And, And there's a lot of different things that kind of maybe separates us from our parents. And maybe in a ideal family, people can be open, parents and children can have an open uh, relationship and talk about whatever issues they need to talk about. Um, however, that's not usually the case, not only in remaining communities, but other communities as well. But that's where I think a member or a figure in the church needs to fill that role. I think that's the part where they need to be discipling other people. They need to be the person that they look to to address these issues. Would you agree with that? Do you think like that is the most important role to have as opposed to depending on your parents? Absolutely. Um, I, first and foremost, I would say that it starts with the parents. But if you don't have that, there should be someone in your church that you can say, that's a representative I want to follow. That guy's lifestyle is something that I would like to achieve in the next five to 10 years. Um, for example, we're talking about the generational gap, right? So at least from our perspective, Marcus, I don't know if you agree, but we're missing that generational gap that's just three, four, five, six years ahead of us. We see a lot of those people that also saw the lack of discipleship, lack of leadership. Uh, many of them got married and then left the church. And then now we're, we're left in that, in that cycle. And the cycle is like this, that, you know, I need to get married so that I can leave ministry. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a, a false precept where actually we should get, we should be getting married and then using both of, of both the female and the male perspective and investing back into the culture right under us and teaching them and showing them what it can look like from that perspective. Um, so from that point of view, yeah, I, I definitely think that the church needs to have um, some sort of foundation on people whose heart burns for this. Not just good preaching, not just good sermons, not just amazing worship, but I believe first and foremost that that the church is built off the foundation, not from the pulpit, but from a one-on-one conversation, like what we're doing right now. I believe this is more effective than preaching to a thousand. Absolutely, and I and I like to start, I do agree with you. I do think we are lacking that generation that ages 30 to 40, the ones that would be the generation before us and would be teaching us. And I think, like you said, once someone gets married, and I'm not gonna, dive too much in this since I'm not married. I don't, I don't like to talk about things I don't have experience with. But once you have, once you get married and you, you know, go through life after a couple of years, you have so much knowledge to share, so much advice to give to these younger people. And I think that's where we lack the most. Like you said, even the people that stayed behind, most of the people who got married and, and now are in their 30s left, either to the American community, which is fine if you're plugged in there and if, you're, if God has called you there to, to serve, that's, that's awesome. That's beautiful. So, but unfortunately, some people left into the world as well. They mm-hmm. started opening their lives to certain things that kind of drew them to that. But the ones that did stay, the, very, the few that did stay, I can even see that there is a lack of passion. Mm-hmm. It's, they were serving a lot in their 20s, but now that they're you know, getting married, having kids, 
uh, I see them taking a step back. And I see this from my own church, and I'm sure in the other remaining churches as well. And it's kind of driven me to kind of make a step in the right direction. I want to step up. I want to help people. I want to, you know, be the encouragement that people want to see. Mm-hmm. And I think it's our job as young people in this generation, in you know, in our 20s, to do that. And hopefully when we get married, that won't be the case. Hopefully we're plugged in. Hopefully we're serving. Hopefully we're leading the younger generation because there's a huge lapse in discipleship in our community. And um, as we're, you know, as we're talking about this, we talked about certain issues. We talked about, you know, not only the generational gap, but the the language barrier. I think is another thing. Hmm. Was it was it hard for you? I, I don't know uh, your proficiency in the Romanian language, but most of our Romanian churches are still led in the Romanian language. Do you think that language barrier had an impact on discipleship between the older and the younger generation? In a sense, no. I I mean I. I mean, we can go either way on this. It yeah. is it is difficult to understand the Romanian language, especially if you weren't taught it, if you didn't practice it in your home. But I think more than anything, you're just looking for someone who's genuinely loving, genuinely compassionate. Uh, compassionate. Um, and regardless of what language that comes, like your actions are going to speak louder than words. Yeah. I'll always stick by that. So even if I don't understand the language 100%, if I see someone pouring into me and actively seeking a relationship with me, I think that would make the change. I like that you brought that up because... Actions do go further than words. In but in my like personal experience, what I've seen is that the song the songs we worship to are different. I mean the style of worship songs that the older generation listens to and really worships to and connects with is totally different to the ones that we yeah. we do. And I think the number one problem I've been seeing is that there is there's a checkout whenever we're not presented with the songs that we typically connect with. And I think that kind of furthers the separation between these two generations, which is not great because the Bible even tells us, you know, the the why the older and the wise are, are meant to teach the young, and mm-hmm. in, in almost every capacity. So having that lapse, I mean, imagine if Timothy didn't have Paul yeah. to to kind of mentor him and, and teach him all these things, all that doctrine in First and Second Timothy. I mean, this is where disciples are made it's in the church yeah and i've argued this in the past where if you're a christian unless you are a missionary like our friend mark who's literally going to third world countries and planting and building churches with his with his hands unless you're that person you need to be planted in a church wherever you live yeah there's one thing to you know go and and visit other places or be a light in your workplace or in your school but I think if you want to not only be made a disciple, but disciple others, you need to be planted in a church because before we go out, before we answer the Great Commission that you like you like you read earlier in Matthew 28, we need to know what we're talking about. Amen. We need to be not only spiritually sound, but spiritually filled with the, whole, with the Holy Spirit and make sure that our hearts are in it for the right reasons, that we're living a life of prayer, that we're rooted in the Word, and that we understand what God has called us to do. Only then can we go on, uh, go out and do his work. And I'm saying this because I see a lot of, you know, freelance Christians. Huh. They're they're very they talk a big game on social media. They're they answer the call whenever there's a controversial thing going around in the news, but they're not planted or serving in a church consistently. Yeah. And I think that needs to be addressed. And I encourage you all, if you're falling into this, please do because if you're not rooted in this community, if you're not 
participating in Christian fellowship, and this goes beyond you know listening to a sermon or singing in a worship set or going to a prayer meeting. This 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 could be as simple as just hanging out with mm-hmm. with like minded people who love the Lord and serve Christ with all of their hearts. If you're not participating in that on a regular basis, you get influenced by the wrong crowd. The Bible tells us that bad company ruins good morals, and then little by little you can be led astray. And I, I mean, I found that even in my personal life where the less time I spent with church friends, the more I kind of strayed away from the Lord. And I think yeah. that's something that you and I um, could both agree on. Yeah. yeah. I love what you said about how, how Paul was investing into Timothy. And not not only did, did Paul invest into Timothy and Titus and Barnabas and these guys, but you see that he actually got educated before he did that. Yeah. If you're looking through Galatians 1, it says that when basically when he had an encounter with the Lord, he went into Arabia for three years, got educated, spent time with the Holy Spirit, and obviously he grew up as the Jew of Jews. If we look through Philippians 3, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, but he came back from an, an educated time with the Holy Spirit, being plugged and rooted in that. Um, And I think that's also an issue that we see in our church that we say, well, I didn't have the discipleship, so I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I, I, in a sense, I'll I'll argue that even Paul didn't really know what he was doing. He he knew the Hebrew law. He knew the the Torah. He knew these things. But when it comes to the New Testament law and the New Testament experience of Jesus Christ, he had to go spend time with him. And he honestly just, I think in a sense, he was winging it and he was learning as he was going. Um, And I love that comparison, even to our parents coming from, you know, Romania or Europe or wherever your parents might be from, I look at this example in comparison that when they came here, they didn't have anyone to teach them, hey, okay, you got to get this visa, you got to go to this place, you got to run. They just said, I'm going to figure this out. It's a better life for my family in America and I'm going to get there. Um, And I think it's, we're in a generation that the Lord has set up where we have the ability to set that first generational gap for true discipleship. Or maybe we didn't have it in our life. We didn't have the people investing in us. But instead of saying like, hey, I didn't have that in my life, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to spend time with these people. I'm going to figure it out as I go. And maybe I don't know what it's going to look like. But after I learn and I, and I go through trial and error, then I'll be able to teach others how to do it better. No, I totally agree. And I think this is something that I mean, I've had countless conversations about this issue. <clears throat> I mean, not only here, but in my personal life. And I'm sure this is something that we really need to address. But going forward, and as we transition to the application part of this episode, what are certain things, what are what are ideas that you've had that could serve as a potential solution to the issue? And obviously, there are bigger solutions. There are, you know, baby steps that we can take, but... What do you think is the first step we need to take to first address step, this issue? First step, I think, is acknowledgement. Acknowledgement that that there are people who need you. Like, I think we get into this basis that, like, maybe I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't know what I'm doing. I think if we get out of that mindset and just understand that you just being there for someone will all automatically have an impact, I think that will change the trajectory of discipleship in general. Um and I refer back to Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 where he says, look, with the Jews, I'm the Jews. With the Gentiles, I'm the Gentiles. And then he says in verse 22, he says something very interesting. He says, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. Um, what I've seen that works in my life as far as discipleship is just finding common ground with people. You see, you know, we, we try to bring people into our lives instead of us actively pushing ourselves in their lives. So, for example, the boys that I'm investing in, 
or the people that I'm trying to grow with, I don't try to conform them to my lifestyle. I see what they're interested in. I find common ground with that and I go with it. So if, if one of the boys is interested in mountain biking, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna research. I'm going to buy a mountain bike this week. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to go meet him up and I'm going to ride a bike with him. Right? If, if one of the girls, you know, say a girl's mentoring another girl and she's into cooking, you know what? Maybe I don't know how to cook, but I'm going to buy a couple books. We're going to meet up at my house and we're going to start cooking together. And I think the issue that we have practically with starting this is like, oh, I, I got to like just start preaching to them. But it's not that. I, I, I think personally, from my experience, um, 90% of it is just doing life with a person. 10% is applic- application of preaching. Yeah. Right. It's being there for the person. It's talking. It's finding common ground. It's um, finding time to fellowship, finding that open ground to where they're comfortable speaking to you so that when they do need prayer, when they do need a word, when they do need encouragement, you're ready to go. Yeah. That's that's kind of what I would say on that. And it's a lot easier for people, especially younger people, to respond to a friend as opposed to respond to an authority authority yeah. figure. I think we see that, I mean, even in schools, people gravitate towards their friends and then they kind of, you know, despise, not despise, but they don't, they don't really connect with the teachers that much. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of going to their level is definitely the right first step. I think that's something that even I would definitely appreciate, especially if I were younger. If I were younger and I were inter- interested in certain things, seeing someone who is older, um, maybe not like as old as my parents, but that, that 30-something-year-old yeah. thing that I, I look up to, <clears throat> and, I, and I typically would look up to this person, I would really like appreciate if they were to you know, get interested in the things I'm interested in. Yeah. When I, so right now, I, I, the way and I serve in this church, I am the youth choir director. And when I first joined youth choir back in 2011, I loved it. I was so excited that I can sing with these, um, these older people and connect with them and sing, sing the same songs and talk about our lives and our weeks. It was something that made me look forward to every single Friday practice. And I was mm. super stoked. I was always looking forward to it and I loved it. And just being there with them really encouraged me to get involved, to become a Christian. And obviously, I was not always on the on that path yeah. going through my teenage years, but that's something that really drew me to the church, that Christian fellowship, seeing that I can connect with these people who I look up to. Hmm. And as time went on, as as those people you know started filtering out, filtering out, and you kind of assume that position, it's it's not as easy. And I think that's why we have an issue today because it's easy to be to see someone pouring into you and really attaching to that. But when you're on the other side and you're trying to pour into someone else, it's not always as easy. And you have to you have to be disciplined yourself to yeah. disciple someone. I think you know the word is derived from the it's derived from the same word, and it takes some time. It takes a lot of effort. Do you have like a specific instance in your life where you found it difficult to? to put yourself in, in those shoes and really pour into someone? Is there a specific time in your life you can remember? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I still struggle with that today. I, I don't think you'll ever get to a point where you're, you kind of grow out of that. I think discipleship is always going to be a little frightening. It's going to be a little scary, especially when you see the Lord opening up doors for, for something new. And I like that you mentioned, you know, um, youth choir and how you stepped into that role. For example, I, I enjoy playing drums at my church. Um, and now one of the younger boys that started coming to youth, he's 13 now, so he can finally start joining. And he was asking me, he's saying, hey, I, I, I want to learn how to play drums. Can you teach me? I've never taught an instrument in my life. 
I have no idea what I'm doing, but next week we're starting drum lessons. And I just took it as a sign from the Lord saying like, look, I gave you common ground with someone. I gave you the open door and opportunity to do it. Go do it. And I think sometimes we need to take that leap of faith. And I don't think you'll ever be in a sense like, okay, I'm, I'm down. I got this. I, I know what I'm doing. I think you're always learning as you're going. But that that's the step of faith that the Lord wants you to take because without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, right? So even with that coming up next week, I'm a little terrified. I have no idea how it's going to go. I don't even know if I can hold a five-minute conversation with the guy or with the kid, but I know that God ordained that and opened up that door. I'm going to step into it and trust that he has my back. Yeah, and I like that. I like that, especially when the younger people come up to us. I always felt really honored when that would happen, when Mm -hmm. they would ask certain questions. Even when I was preparing for this podcast, um, you know, the rumors were going, I was telling different people about it, and there were a lot of, like, younger guys who were asking about it, like, oh, what are you going to do this? What are you going to do that? And you know, I answer their questions, but I'm like, wow, God, this is awesome that I get to influence people and I get to share your word. I get to be an example and a role model for a lot of these people. Yeah. And not only has that benefited our relationship with the people that we disciple, but it's made me more accountable, especially as mentors. And whenever I slip up, whenever I start straying away, whenever I I have a dry spell with my relationship with the Lord, I I, I think I'm like, man, I can't do this. I I I'm teaching this guy drums mm-hmm. or I'm making this podcast or I'm leading this ministry or I'm singing in worship or I'm preaching. It's good to have that net of responsibility and accountability as Christians growing up. And not only does this relationship, this discipleship benefit the disciple, but I think we get that extra guard of accountability. I think that's really, I've seen that a lot in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, is that something you've seen in your life uh, as far as like leading? Because I know you you lead worship, you preach sometimes, you're you're one of the main youth leaders over there at Emmanuel Church. Is that something that you've seen that these different avenues that, that you've taken for the Lord, um, did that add extra accountability to your life? Yeah, absolutely. It, it puts a higher accountability on what you're actually teaching. Yeah. Right? You look back at James 3, it says, many of you shouldn't even be leaders because you're going to be held accountable for that. Hebrews chapter 13 talks about it and it says, respect your leaders because they're actually giving an account for your soul. So when I'm up there and say I'm preaching or if I'm playing or whatever it is, my accountability on the ground is so much higher. I hold myself to a higher accountability because I'm representing Christ. I'm no longer just representing myself. I'm now representing the name of Jesus. So everything that I do, uh, people are going to see, well, that's a Christian. This is what it should look like. And if he's slipping up, if he's doing these things, Coming back to like my my intro to my testimony, seeing people's actions um, not really relate to the way they're, you know, preaching. So I think, yeah, the accountability is much higher, much more strict. Um, But at the same time, I also want to emphasize this, Marcus, that I think there's such a beauty in discipleship with vulnerability. And my, my youth knows this. I say it all the time. Awkwardness is holiness. Like you have to get to a point in your life where you're ready to expose yourself. And even if you mess up, even if you slip up, to not try to hide it, to not try to cover yourself, but the people you're discipling and the people you're loving on, let them see that you're a human being. So a lot of my boys, like when they're opening up about their struggles sexually, they're opening up about like, I, I lied to my parents. I, I did this this one day. I, I slipped up here. I'll be like, hey, I, I slipped up this week too. And I'll be open. I'll share my burdens with them so they can see like, wow, he's not on a pedestal. 
He might be preaching, he might be playing, he might be doing these things, but he's still a human being and he has emotions, he has failures, he's he sins just like everyone else. And I think that opens up such an amazing platform to where they can open up to you more clearly. And they say, well, if Marcus is struggling and he's not perfect and he's showing me that, then that means I can open up to him too because I know he's not going to judge me for that same sin, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's something that really... And this is kind of going back to the first point we made. That's something that we really did not see growing up. And I think the biggest reason, and, and this is the, this is one of the number one sins in the world that really draws people away from Christ, and I think it's pride. Yeah. People are very afraid to be vulnerable. They're very stuck on their image, which is wrong, because we don't have our own image. Our image is supposed to be Christ. Yeah. Christ is supposed to be reflecting from us. When people look at us, they see you know, the values that Christ has taught us. And I think that's a big epidemic, if I can use that word, mm. you know, in these in these sensitive times. But <laughs> that's something that we didn't see and we find it almost unnatural, I think. Yeah. Because like, if I were to try to do something like that, and I've had to some extent, maybe not to the same extent you have, but that's something that would make me very uncomfortable to be vulnerable because that's that's not the connection I had with other people that I yeah. looked up to, that other people that were my leaders growing up. And there are, you know, a multitude of reasons why and you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't blame them just because of the either the generational gap or the differences in culture. But finding doing that, being that role model for that person and filling that void is something that wouldn't be natural to a lot of us. So we really, really have to put in the effort, put in the work to do something like that uh, going forward. But as we kind of continue on this topic, I know we addressed some early step issues on how how we can benefit from this, how we can be better role models, how we can be more involved in discipleship, not only in our communities, but the, every single person that we touch and every single person that we see and are involved with. Involved with. Um, but what is what is our goal? What is the scope of discipleship? What is what is the whole point of it? Because we, we read in Matthew twenty eight that God tells us to go to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel, disciple, baptize. What do we want to see as Christians happen to the world? Not only in our in our circle, in our community, but to everyone who is supposed to hear and uh, hear the gospel and believe. What is our goal? What is our outlook? Sure, our goal is to prepare those that we can pass the baton onto them so that they can preach the gospel and do what we're doing now. Uh, and I, I come back to this. I Again, I, I tell my youth this all the time. I'm not called to be the next Billy Graham, but I sure want to help build the next Billy Graham. And I think what, what's so important about discipleship and what ties in with the church is that discipleship, in a sense or in essence, is being a father. It's being a mother. And when, you, when you're starting to pour into these people, you actually want to see them... Um, excel more than you ever could. You want to see them preach better. You want to see them sing better. You want to see them, uh, you know, pray better. You want to see them do so much more. And I think it's that parental mentality that I want to see someone else succeed over me. Um, So I think this is the essence and the importance of discipleship is that we're setting the standard and setting the tone for the next generation. That like, you know, Paul got to a point where he said, you know, I, I can entrust Timothy. I can entrust Titus, Barnabas. I've taught you guys well. Carry this on. And I think we got to get to the point now where I'm in my late 20s. I don't know where you're at, Marcus, but I want to be able to look back and say that I invested in people to carry on the baton and to carry on the torch and to be able to preach and teach better than I can ever do. 
Um, so I think that's why it's so important and so crucial to have discipleship in the church um, is to see the impact in the next generation coming forth. And you're right. We, If you have the mentality that you want to be the next Billy Graham or the next this person, the next that person, I think you're missing the point because I mean, you have to be humble. You have to have this eternal mindset, as we would say. Who would have known? If you go back in, if you go back two thousand years ago, and you ask the, the the original disciples, and you tell them, like, this is what's going on in the world in two thousand twenty. I mean, yeah, they 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 followed Christ. They, Christ told them that you know he he will work through them. They will be the the foundations of the church going forward. But to see that there are millions of people who are Christians are following Christ. I mean, that that'd be such a great feat to them. That'd be something that they wouldn't even imagine. And it starts with a few humble men and women to be that example. And um, I like that you mentioned Billy Graham because there was this, uh, shortly after he passed, they started talking a little bit more about him. And they did this whole chain reaction where they started like from this preacher in the 1920s. Some random unknown preacher Mm -hmm. had this sermon at this church. And then a person from that church had this conversation with one person. And then there was a few more chain reactions and this person attended this uh, evangelism. And then the person who was at that evangelism was Billy Graham who changed his life. So mm-hmm. the point that they were making was that Billy Graham, who is probably the greatest American evangelist of all time, his him coming to the faith, because the Bible says faith comes by hearing through the teaching of the word of God, but he came to the faith and it all started from you know 60 years ago where this small unknown man gave a sermon at a small church. And I think that's the mentality we need to have. And you, you just brought that up, that our work here is for the Lord. And it's not to bring our name glory. It's, it's to bring his name glory. Amen. And we are, we are that small man in that church. And hopefully one day, uh, assuming how long you know this world's going to last but we want that one day generations that a chain reaction that started from us more leaders are built from that more leaders are leading and doing the work of christ and i think that's something that's very not only humbling but empowering as well to know that god works in so many different ways that he can start the you know he can start the greatest evangelist evangelist of all time through a simple sermon he can use a young man like David to to defeat a you know Philistine army. So, mm-hmm. knowing that our great God can work in us in a m- multitude of different ways is really encouraging, and that just strengthens my faith and all of our faiths. Yeah, because we see him as a great God who who is the ultimate mentor. Who, because we talked earlier about you know coming down to our level. I mean, mm-hmm. God did it the best. He sent his only son to be born as a man just like the rest of us and perform miracles and and, and have multiple sermons and, and, and lead a, a certain people and start this church and then eventually give his life and be resurrected so that we can have eternal life as well. So I think using that as an example yeah. is, is the best thing that we can do. Yeah, I, I love what you said about that. Like Jesus set the tone. He set the standard. And that's what I wanted to bring up from Philippians too um, when we're talking about like, wanting to see others excel, wanting to see the the next generation go higher and better than we were. Paul mentions in Philippians 2, 3, he says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, 
Think of others as better than yourself. And he says, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too, because you must have the same attitude that Christ had. And then he goes in and says what Christ did. He humbled himself. He, he was born poor. He gave up his divine privileges. Um, and then later on, it shows that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. But I think what, what the essence of this passage is, is Paul is saying, don't think of yourself more important than others. Like think of others excelling. Think of others propelling. Think of others doing better, going higher than you can ever do. And in that essence, you're glorifying God. And I think this is what I want to mention to the listeners. Like, it's not about our ministry. It's not about how many people I can save. It's not about how many stadiums I can fill and how many people I can preach to. It's about being obedient. The Lord wants obedience over sacrifice. And in that sense, like, what are you living for? What is your return on investment? We look at everyone investing in, in property. We look at people investing in school. Like if I go to school for four years, I'll get a degree, I'll get a good job. That's a return on investment. But I want to ask the listeners, what is your return on investment eternally? Mm-hmm. What are you doing right now that maybe that impact with that one person that, that God put on your heart? It's just saying like, man, I don't know why. I just need to call this guy and I just want to spend some time with him. I want to invest in him. I want to pour my heart into him. Maybe through that one person, that person can go on changing the entire population. That person can be propelled by the Lord to change nations, can be the next Mark Moldovan who's going to go to third world countries and do those things, all because of that one speck of obedience that you said to the Lord, I'm willing. And I think when we have that mindset of eternally, what am I, what am I trying to invest in eternally? That thing will never fade. It will never rust. It will never be stolen. Um, and I, and I want to encourage the listeners that a one person that you're going to spend time with is more important than preaching from a pulpit. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill says this, it'd be wrong for you to preach from the pulpit if God is telling you to sit down. Mm-hmm. Just listen to the voice of the Lord. And if you feel that propelling to go invest into that person, acknowledge that if God led you to that person, it is more important than any ministry you can ever do. Yeah, amen. And uh, I like that you gave your your driving point there. Uh, but as we wrap this episode up, is there any last thing you want to mention? Any Anything to truly take away? If you had to summarize it in in, in sh- shorter amount of time or fewer words, what would you say for the listeners to take home from this episode? Take home, I would just repeat the same phrase that, that wrecked me. It's be the person that you needed when you were younger. Look around, look around your church. Look for those who are lost. Coming back to Luke chapter 15, he says, I'll leave the 99 and I'm going to go find the one. Look for the one person that the Lord is highlighting to you invest in that person, pour out your heart, pour out your spirit on them, and trust that God will do the work. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, Paul mentions, we plant the seeds, you know, we can water the seeds, but Christ brings an increase. You're not called to save anyone, you're called to disciple. Amen. And I'm glad that you brought up, you said that Esther told you that, that quote. Yeah. And isn't it great that you hear a quote from a friend, or she tells you something, it impacts your life, the Holy Spirit stirs your heart, brings you back to the faith, and then now you're discipling a bunch of younger people. And I think that's just like a prime example of what we were talking about today, that something as a little as a short encouragement from an old friend could stir your heart and then lead you to lead other people to Christ. And then you're discipling and you're you're not only making Christians, but you're making disciples so they can go out and do the same thing. And I think that's just um, a great example of what we're talking about today. And I think it's a great conclusion to our discussion today. Thank you so much, Andrew, for, for being here. And, um, before we wrap things up, typically for all my guests, I, I give them a chance to 
kind of give their plug. Um, is there anywhere that the listeners can find you on social media if they want to reach out or double tap one of your pictures or anything? No, I have no social media. Just go out, invest in people, and be the change you want to be. Amen to that. Amen to that. Hear that, guys? Delete all your social media <laughs> and focus on the people and personal interactions. Well, thank you again, Andrew, for being here. It was a blessed time. I thought uh, not only can the listeners learn from this, but I think I truly learned from this experience as well. And it's something that's really encouraged me to be the better person that I can be, be the person that I needed at that time. And uh, God willing, we will be. So um, for you listeners out there, thank you again for tuning in. You can follow us on our Instagram page at the Potter's House. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can reach us at our email, um, thepottershouse at gmail.com. Please like and subscribe. We are on iTunes. We are on Spotify. We are on Google Play and Stitcher and I believe SoundCloud. So those are the five platforms we're on. You have no excuse not to find it. Uh, If you have an iPhone, iTunes is free. So thank you again for tuning in and we will see you next time.